I promised you two and I will deliver on two. My voice is nearly gone, but I'm going to have a go at Portugal. So again, this is part of the Taste uh, series of podcasts dealing with WSET Diploma Studies. And today we're talking about Portugal. So first of all, a little background, a few key factors in history, um, geography, before we get cracking with regions, grapes and styles. So Portugal is the most westerly wine producing country in Europe. Um, its key influences are, of course, the Atlantic to the south and to the west. It has an incredibly high number of indigenous varieties and its fair share also of international varieties. Key factors in history, um, you have the Methuen Treaty with England, um, the Portuguese Civil War and the Peninsular Wars, both of which heavily impacted upon um, uh, on the market for, for Portuguese wines, particularly as they tended to happen just as um, Spanish and French wines were also becoming popular, which didn't help matters. Phylloxera, of course, devastated vineyards, the rule of Salazar, pretty much uh, halted investment and modernization. But you've also got the things, uh, the rise of things like Matus Rosé, Lancers Rosé, uh, positive impacts, EU accession in 1986, which, which took, uh, took away uh, trade restrictions and brought in investment. Recent, focuses has, re- recent focus has been on export, um, particularly in an attempt to sort of bounce back from the financial austerity program. Um, it, on, a, on a really positive front, Portugal's ability to produce ripe, fruity reds and fresh, inexpensive whites have really put Portugal in a, in a strong, strong position. To grape growing then. Um, west of Portugal, the Atlantic is, of course, the key influence. It brings in cool, rainy weather, particularly in the northwest, Um, mountains do offer some protection, um, in the north, uh, but inland regions where the climate, um, is, is much, much hotter and further south, it's warmer and drier and it's got some hills and plains. Soils, they do vary locally, schist, granite, particularly in the mountainous regions like Vino Verde, Douro, the Dow, um, and outcrops of, of Alentejo. Um, and then you've got more fertile alluvial clay limestone soils, some sandy soils in Baraida, Lisboa, Tejo and Setubal. Um, in 1986, of course, Portugal joined the EU and that really shifted a focus to higher quality plantings, production, um, a focus on a soft, ripe style of wine, which was popular um, and encouraged further investment. You've got winemaking um close to both Lisbon and Porto, so many estates there are set up for tourism. In terms of threats, I guess you've got the the perennial sort of doom monger, climate change, drought, notably inland, that's a big threat. Extreme weather with hail and storms, which threaten yields and fruit set. Wildfires, uh, wet weather, um, and the two sort of disease, two big diseases, apart from the, the, the fungal diseases that affect the coastal regions, you've got esca um, and the grapevine moth, which can be a big problem. There are a significant number of old bush vines, but most vines, modern planting vines, uh, are either on cordon or 
replacement cane VSP. You've still got a lot of um, varietally mixed fields. This is a sort of, sort of throwback from, from the port production. Um, so you can have a lot of field blends. But from 1980 onwards, most plots have been varietally planted, which makes it easier to tell what they are, of course. Um, they have relaxed laws on irrigation. I think they they were one of the first uh, countries to sort of accept the fact that um, irrigation was going to become... Um, necessary and in the Douro for example if they want to irrigate all they now have to do is is notify the IVDP which is the sort of uh, ruling um, body there that that they want to. The number of certified organic farmers is pretty low but lots of farmers of growers actually do operate organically but they they feel that the benefits don't um, don't match the the rewards that they 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 can attain um, by 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 obtaining a certification for organic wines so most planted grapes in the reds you've got aragonege which is tintororith you've got turiga franca turiga nacional castello trincadera baga and bits and pieces of syrah and alicante boucher and for the whites you've got fernal pires which is also called maria gomez Lurero, Arinto, Paderna and Rupero. Lots of the whites are made with protective winemaking, stainless steel, temperature controls widely used. Most of the reds are de-stemmed and um, put in French oak for maturation. There is a, a, a proportion of American oak, it should be, it should be noted. And some people are sort of experimenting with, with large format Portuguese and Brazilian hardwood barrels as well, notably in Barreda. Um, another interesting thing about Portugal is that 35% of the national agricultural output is grapes. That's one of the highest in the world. But most vineyards are absolutely tiny, um, particularly in Dao, Vinho Verde and Douro. Until 1974, which was the end of what they call the Carnation uh, Revolution, grapes and wines were pretty easy to sell, particularly to um, former colonies in Africa like Angola and, and Mozambique. Um, of course, accession to the EU changed their potential market uh, radically. Um, there is an organisation in Portugal called So Grape, which over the past 40 years has acquired an enormous portfolio, including port brands, um, estates in Vinho Verde, in Douro, in Dao, in Alentejo and Lisbon, and it is the biggest wine company in Portugal. But there are still 73 cooperatives. <laughs> um, but an increasing number of small producers and, uh, and even small volume winemakers without vineyards of their own are cropping up. Portugal is the 11th largest wine producing country globally and the 9th largest exporter. Good news is that domestic sales are on the increase. So now let's take a look at some regions. We'll start, we'll start top at the top and work our way down. So in the northwest of Portugal, you've got Vinho Verde, which is a DOC. You've got the Atlantic to the west. You've got the River Minho to the north, which is the border with Spain. You've got the mountains of Peneda Jerez, which I've pronounced horribly, to the east, and the River Douro to the south. It's made up of nine subzones. 
climate, moderate maritime, with, of course, you've got this massive Atlantic coast influence. It, there's a series of valleys which funnel winds in. Um, as the, the, the DOC moves inland, um, gets warmer, drier, and allows later ripening grapes to do well as well. So uh, high rainfall gives marked vintage variation, implications there for both yield and ripening. Soils, it's largely a granitic bedrock and shallow topsoils, low nutrient levels. The big threat, of course, is fungal disease. Um, what they do is they train high to improve air circulation and reduce rot, mostly replacement cane, VSP and lyre. Uh, they also go for leaf removal and green harvest to improve ripening and air circulation. So the weird thing about Vigna Verde is that until the 1960s, it was a, a region predominantly known for growing red grapes. But by 2018, it was 80% white. Lurero is the most common, uh, widely planted grape, followed by Perverna and Alvarino. Uh, Avesa is a late ripening and therefore um, works in the more sheltered southerly inland zones. And Trajadura is also grown. That wasn't mentioned on our first list. Uh, the most widely planted gra black grape now is Vignal. Winemaking for inexpensive volumes, cross-region blends made protectively, low temperature stainless steel ferments released soon after fermentation, and it often has that characteristic CO2 spritz in Vigna Verde. You've got a few higher priced examples and a few people are experimenting with ambient yeasts and oak and lees. The wines are generally low alcohol, around 9.5%, I think is the max, with medium to high acidity. Single variety Alvarino um, from one particular region called Monsal y Molgasal. Oh, my Portuguese is awful. Has a minimum alcohol of 11.5%, so it does vary a little bit, but it's, it's generally speaking low alcohol. Vineyard ownership, massively fragmented. Most growers are selling to co-ops or large merchants, and there are just 400 growers that make and bottle their own wines. 40% exported, and it's growing steadily. Um, key markets by volume are Germany, the US, France, and Brazil, and by value, it's the US. For key producers, have a look at Mendez. So onto the Douro, which is the largest producer by region, by volume. Um, you've got Porto DOC and then you've got Douro DOC for, um, for dry wines. Um, Douro DOC was created in 1982 um, and it was the father of, well, way before that, the father of Portuguese still wine is, is, is reputed to be Fernando, Fernando Almeida, who brought Bordeaux thinking to Bordeaux. Um, using things like ice to cool down tanks and tinkering about with ferments and grapes. And he made a, a, a wine called Barca Veia, which, is, which was hated at the time, but is now commanding super premium prices. Um, again, it was EU accession that brought modernisation and investment to, to this region. Um, there are three subzones, uh, the same as for Porto DOC. You've got Superior, Sima Corgo, Baixa Corgo. Western limits of the Douro is, uh, you've got the Serra de, de Marau, which uh, at 1,415 metres, shields the Douro from the worst of the weather coming in from the Atlantic. Um, it's got a warm continental climate. It's got a range of aspects, altitudes and microclimates. And it's absolutely key soil type is schist. 
and a topsoil of decomposed schist. Low nutrient, low water retention. Um, lots of hillside vineyards are not adapted for irrigation and drought is becoming increasingly problematic. Um, although, as I said, the IVDP has relaxed rules on irrigation where hydric stress um, potentially jeopardises quality. So wines are uh, more often than not blends. Single varietals quite rare. And in the, in the Douro, we're looking at Turiga Nacional, Turiga Franca, Tinta Rorif, Tinta Barocca and Tinta Cow. Um, what do they bring? Turiga Franca Nacional, good acidity, ripe fruit, red and black, pretty floral character. You've got another group that's plantings are on the increase and it's known for um, acidity retention as well, even in hot years. And that's a grape called um, Susau. Um, the DSC does permit a wide range of other Portuguese varieties as well, but those are the sort of key ones. For the whites, you've got Viozinho, Rabigato, Guveo, Moscatel, Galego, Branco. Um, so Viozinho, full-bodied, might lack acidity. Rabigato, high acidity, citrus and floral. Guveo, which is called Godello or Godeo in Spain. Remember we had that? Uh, before um medium plus acidity citrus and stone fruits muscatel that's it's that's muscatel putty ground uh, muscat putty ground rather so they use that for aroma intensity um white wines tend to be grown at higher altitudes for the preservation of acidity overall wines tend to be blended across sites some single plots do exist but the aim here is to create ripe but not jammy fruit so blending sites and varieties can assist in consistency aspect altitude distance from coast um, north facing slopes th these are all advantageous in hot years you know and there are more and more of them coming i think so um you can make red white or rosé and sparkling um 75 <clears throat> percent um is red and it's red in a wide variety of quality price points um, and styles, really. Um, also, just to just to reiterate that field blends are still still quite a thing. Um, and also just to say that most of the big port houses, people like Symington's, um, not only these days uh, dabble in port, but they also now have a portfolio of, of, of um, dry wines as well. So on the whole, for the Douro, destemming is normal. Um, they don't usually need extra tannin. Uh, fermentation actually is usually fairly cool, 24 to 28. And this allows for greater control of tannin extraction. Lagares, optional. These are the open, open fermenting sort of um, troughs that they also use in port production. And that's a useful way of being able to monitor extraction levels in an open vessel. Um, so wines for early drinking, pressed off skins, off they go. Um, wines that are destined for a bit more of a journey, um, they may have some post-ferment maceration um, and maturation, either large old format Portuguese oak or French barriques. But following global trends, as we saw in Spain, large vessels, less new oak, um, so as not to sort of swamp the fruitiness of the uh, of the grapes, is the trend. So diminishing amounts of of, of overt oak. Whites uh, in the Douro, it's about 25% of sales. Most of, it, most of them are inexpensive. Most of them are cool temperature stainless steel ferments and most of them bottled and sold straight away. Um, as we mentioned before, Petit Grand Muscat often used as a sort of aroma booster. But there are um, examples of, of high quality premium 
uh, old vine whites, often oak fermented and matured. Um, they've got greater body, greater texture, greater longevity. Um, small volume of rosé, mostly simple, quick drinkers, nothing really to talk about there. Uh, but dry wines, importantly, now within the Douro, account for 36% of the Douro's production. So it's gone from being a sort of byproduct of port to really being quite an important part of the Douro's um, uh, wine legacy. You've got a large choice of premium wines, often estate grown, often labelled Quinta. Uh, top wines, often parcel or estate select. And they're wines that are earmarked, importantly, for wine rather than for port. Inexpensive volume, you've got 23 co-ops to choose from. Um, interestingly, um, and this is sort of particularly of note um, versus the fortified world, uh, the, the grapes that are produced for dry wines, um, the price for them is not controlled by the um, beneficio, whereas it is for fortified wines. The bad news for the growers is that wines or grapes for wine command a much lower uh, price than grapes for port sometimes in in really big yielding years they don't even cover the cost of of production which is a bugger um domestic sales 63 percent uh, main export markets canada uk and brazil onto the dow which is to the south of vino verde and the douro and inland from baraida which we haven't come to yet so surrounded by mountains, protected from the cool Atlantic influence from the west and from the dry arid conditions to the east. So overall, a Mediterranean climate, relatively high rainfall. Uh, the region, this is a sort of peculiarity of the Dow. The region is planted with pine and eucalyptus and it does bring a sort of signature note to wines, that sort of mentholated, menthol minty character that eucalyptus brings. You can often find it also in... Bordeaux cabs and Cabernet Francs, things like that. Range of aspects, range of altitudes, wide diurnal range, mostly weathered granite soils, sandy loamy textures, low nutrient free draining. Does help with vigour, um, but a problem, potential problem with water stress. It's got threats of hail in the summer and spring frost. Um, cold air sinks, settles on the valley floors, it's got nowhere to go, so yeah, bit of a spring frost pocket there. Most modern plantings are double or single guio or cordon VSP, but there are some old bush vines knocking around as there are pretty much everywhere. Um, weather, as always, key component on yield fluctuation. Um, the Dow is mostly red, Turiga Nacional Tintororith plus Jaén, which is known as Menthia in Spain. And El Frochero. Um, on the whole, wines from the Dow region, fresher, lighter bodied, higher acidity than Douro wines. Bit, bit sort of more um, freshness there. Historically, they had a tendency to be over astringent due to excessive maceration and extensive oak aging. But as we were talking about before, the, that's that's sort of on the on the downturn now. White grapes, they have, a, they have a specialist white grape, Encruzado, um, key varietal for high quality. You can make it either protectively or oxidatively, capable of great age and, and gorgeous tertiary nutty character. Um, sometimes blended with Malvasia fina, which is also known as Boal, if you think about Madeira, um, Bical and Cercial, also for Madeira. Once again, the big problem here, fragmented vineyards, some less than half a hectare, 
Um, but post-EU accession, the dominance of the co-ops was broken. Um, and so grape, which we've talked about before, Portugal's largest, largest producer, um, set about raising overall quality standards and price points. And the region is attracting a new wave of winemakers who are keen to exploit the quality fruit potential and make premium wines, which is great. Um, only about 20% exported, maybe less. Um, key producer would be someone like Vinha Paz. So, Baraida. We did talk about this, uh, mention this before. Located west of the Dow, um, proximity to the coast means maritime climate. Spring and autumn rains could be problematic with the, the key grape of the area, which is a, a late ripening baga, B-A-G-A. Uh, you've got a lot of fertile alluvial soils in the west from silted up river estuaries. Um, you've got some clay limestone on so slopes. Um, in the south, it's warmer and Barga is planted extensively on clay, li clay limestone. Uh, traditionally high trained and even individually staked bush vines. But modernisation means that most of them are now Gio or replacement cane VSP. So Baraida, two thirds of it is red. Barga, absolutely the dominant variety. What does it bring? High acid, high tannin, medium body, lots of cranberry, cherry, plum, that sort of thing can be very astringent in youth, but it does round out and gain complexity with bottle age. So historically, it was grown at high yields and sold to co-ops. You know, the wines were sort of lacking concentration and, and astringent and not very interesting. Um, although although what is interesting is that it was a key component for Matus Rosé <laughs> because it was so high in acid. Um, now the focus is on quality and wines have, are reaching for the sort of very good to outstanding quality levels. But it is late ripening, meaning, um, you know, site, site selection, rootstock selection to limit vigour. These are key things. It likes warm, sheltered sites and it likes... Um, the high limestone content soils, which reflect heat and light back. Green harvest carried out to ensure um, even ripening. Um, Cast-offs from green harvest sometimes used for fizz. Um, it is mostly de-stemmed, but sometimes there'll be a bit of whole bunch to add structure, freshness, enhance aromas, blah, that sort of thing. Um, mix of stainless steel, Lagara's open fermenters, concrete, you name it, they'll have a go in it. Maturation, large French oak, um, 500 to 650-litre barrels. Some Portuguese and some Brazilian hardwood uh, barrels used as well. Um, the DOC does permit other Portuguese and some international varieties as well, but Baga Classico, for example, must be a minimum of 50% Baga. For the whites, you've got Maria Gomez. And, of course, you know I'm going to tell you that's called something else as well. It's called Fernal Perez. Um, in other parts of Portugal. Uh, Bical, Arinto, Social, those are the native ones. You've also got bits and bobs of Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc grown here as well. Inexpensive wines, they're going to be pan-regional blends, stainless steel, cool temps, bottle and release, mid-premium, which are often the ones grown on the clay limestone sites, sometimes have a short, short oak maturation. Um, just as a byline, Barida is also home to Portugal's sparkling wine production. And about 10% of the DOC's production uh, goes to sparkling wine and it's mostly Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Um, interestingly, there's also, uh, they have, they've created their own um, little club, <laughs> Barga Friends. 
um, which is used to, to help promote high quality wines um, made from Barga. So we're down to the nuts and bolts of it now. We're off to Alentejo, which is the largest region extending over much of southeast Portugal. You've got the Spanish border to the east, Algarve to the south, and it's made up of nine contig- uh, sorry, eight non-contiguous subregions. Um, in 2010, they did something kind of interesting, and this was a sort of market reaction thing. Um, they introduced Vinho de Tala, Talha, which is Portuguese for an amphora. So that was just in a sort of, uh, I guess, in a in reaction to the rise in interest for, for skin contact white wines, orange wines. Um, growing envir- environment, it's a largely Mediterranean climate. Um, inland areas encounter some fairly extreme temperatures. Drip irrigation is widely used. Mostly plains and gentle slopes, wide range of soils, granite, schist, limestone, clay. Most of the vines now are trellised uh, double cordon VSP and the reason for that is there's so few people living in Alentejo that it's hard to get people to work in the vineyards. So, um, you know, cane replacement VSP requires quite a high skill set and quite a lot of people. Trellising double cordon VSP can be mechanised. Alentejo DOC itself... Um, you've got um, lots of subregions here as well. Various microclimates and soils. Alto in the north, in the north northern region, is the highest at eight hundred meters, and that gives fresher fruit and higher acidity. Field and I've written made a little note here. Field blends on handkerchief sized plots. Um, wide range of grapes permitted 75% of them are black 25% of them are white they're almost always in blends rather than single varietals the key black grapes Aragonese aka Tinto Rorith aka Tempranillo um, Alicante Boucher which is a Tinturier grape with a pink flesh red flesh uh, Trincadera which grows well in warm warm climates but does have a tendency to over yield that's the only downside with with Trincadera. Um, wine, wine, wines, wines range from inexpensive to super premium. Um, there's a manufacturer or producer here called Cartusha, C-A-R-T-U-X-A, have a look out for them. White grapes, Rupero is the most planted, which is great because it retains acidity, but it can lose primary flavours really quickly. Um, that's its only downside. Arinta, which is also called Paderna, if you're in Vigno Verde. Um, that's useful because it hangs on to acidity. Um, Antal Vaz, drought tolerant, made in a range of styles, but can lose acidity. Um, that can be blended with Rupera or Arinto. Chardonnay, Viognier permitted, and some other international varieties. And plantings of Alvarino are on the increase down here too. So the good news for Alentejo is that it enjoys um, higher domestic sales than any other region. Um, and it also accounts for 20% of all Portuguese exported wine. Ta-da! That's, that's significant. Um, the other thing of note about Alentejo is, unlike the rest of Portugal, there are some quite large land holdings here. So it's not the sort of half a hectare jobbies that we've seen elsewhere. Um High sunshine, relatively flat topography, mechanisation, EU funding means this, this, this was like the golden choice for a region for cost-effective high-volume winemaking. Um, it's also close to Lisbon, so wine tourism with you know, a number of estates having swanky wineries and tasting rooms and, and 
you know, close to Lisbon. That was a big, big plus point as well. Okay, Lisboa is a long, skinny region split vertically by the Serra de Montejunto. Um, Western side, Atlantic coast, wet, windy, some clay limestone, gives fresher, lighter styles. Eastern side, sheltered, protected by the Serra de Montejunto, fuller-bodied, riper styles. Um, range of Portuguese and international varieties, notably Tuiga Nacional, Aragonés and Arinto. International grapes, uh, Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, Sauvignon Blanc and Riesling. Um, you've got two quite well-known DOCs <clears throat> within the within the Lisboa region. One's for red, one's for white. So Alenquer for reds and Bousselas for white. Both are on the sheltered eastern side. Um, you've got another place here, which is great for geeky wine people like me. Um, there's a there's a place called Colares, C-O-L-A-R-E-S. Um, and the reason that it's an interest for me is because they've got really super, super deep sandy soils and you've got ungrafted vines there. Um, commercially, the wines are usually labelled as Lisboa VR um, because the nine DOCs that belong to it, nobody's ever heard of. Um, last two, you've got the Peninsula de Setubal. So Setubal, probably better known for um, for something else, um, sweet wine, but we can't talk about that because it's a fortified one and that's not part of the programme here. So it's located between the estuaries of the River Tejo or Tagus and Sado. General climate Mediterranean, mountains to the south provide cooler sites and altitude. The famous DOC here is Palmela, uh, mostly red, um, and at least 67% Castellau, also known as Periquita. Deep-coloured, full-bodied, ripe red berries, often matured in oak. Um, other Portuguese and international grapes are uh, permitted, though. And for whites, it's Fernal Perez and Moscatel and Arinto, but again, other international grapes permitted. Producers, Fonseca. And last but by no means least, uh, Tejo, which is located inland from Lisbon and named after the river. Um, Post-EU accession has focused on quality, generally a Mediterranean climate with varying soils and different microclimates, and it's mostly white. But that's really all there is to tell you about Tejo. OK, that was a super fast spin around Portugal. I'll be back tomorrow with a new region for you. Take care. Have a good Saturday night.